Gapier Universe. I'm Julia Rogers. And I'm Margot Brookfield. Welcome to Gapier Radio, the show that brings you information and inspiration to plan a life-changing Gapier adventure. Today on the pod, we welcome Kevin Fagan, a Gapier alum who recently graduated from college after embarking on his Gapier almost five years ago. Margot, tell us a little bit about your conversation with Kevin. Yes, so I had a great time chatting with Kevin. He spent the fall of his gap year with Where There Be Dragons on their Andes and Amazon semester, which travels to Peru and Bolivia. And Where There Be Dragons is a group-based semester program that allows students to travel with meaning and intention. And really their goal is to allow students to genuinely experience a different way of life while exploring their interests, developing valuable skills for the future, whether that be through homestays, trekking, apprenticeships, immersion, language learning, etc. Um, and Kevin got to experience a number of those things during his semester and does share with us about that. And they offer programs in addition to this one in Latin America, in Asia, Africa, as well as the United States. So Kevin talks about his fall program with dragons and how much that experience has impacted him, um, and as well as how that structure of his fall program helped to launch him into a more independent spring semester that he spent backpacking solo through Europe. So also as somebody who's a five years out from his gap year, um, really tells us more about how that gap year impacted not only his college major at Gonzaga University, but has actually led him to now be in sustainability consulting in Spokane. So super cool story, five years out. Wow. I love the zoom out because a lot of times when we're talking just to students, they're more recent alums, but at least once a season, I love hearing from someone who's a little bit further out from their gap time. who can really talk about how taking this formative year does impact the rest of your life and especially what you choose to do directly after your higher education experience. So really cool stuff. I'm excited to hear this, this conversation. Yes, absolutely. And I think he also is a great example of like structured to unstructured kind of you know, flow of a gap year, Um, but really just, and I think a cool opportunity to think back, you know, five years is a long time and reminisce on favorite stories and um, takeaways and snippets from that. So yeah, great storyteller. I'm excited to share with everyone. Oh my gosh, great. Well, thanks everybody out there for being here. Stick with us and let's get started. Today on the pod, we have Kevin Fagan joining us, who is an alum of Where There Be Dragons Andes and Amazon semester from 2016 and just graduated from college at Gonzaga University. So welcome to the pod today, Kevin. Great to be here. Awesome. So my first question is just, I know obviously you're, you're a number of years now out of your gap here. You're out of college. So I think there's a lot of insights to be had just in terms of the time and space there's been since your gap time. But what first brought you to decide to take time away from the classroom and pursue an experience like this? Yeah, um, I think it was definitely a combination of a few factors. I, um, it's not that I didn't necessarily feel ready to go into college, but as I started weighing the pros and cons of um, a semester or a year um, traveling and experiencing perspectives outside my suburban bubble um, versus heading into college with the rest of my classmates. Um, I, I I knew it was going to be difficult, but um, and definitely a big step to take as a 18-year-old high schooler, but um, I also knew that it would be very fulfilling. And um, and I had a very supportive uh, parents that, that uh, funded a lot of these um, endeavors. So I, I cannot show enough appreciation for being lucky enough to have uh, 
financial support for trips like these. That's awesome. I think that goes a long way, obviously, in being able to make that decision for yourself. So that's awesome. Um, and so once you made the decision, I mean, how did you go about researching and planning or how did you ultimately end up finding dragons? Um, I, I think it was just, I can't remember what, there's a comprehensive gap year, like website that just has a lot of different, um, options, um, that are essentially it's, it's like looking at a catalog of different trips around the world and can be kind of inundating because (laughs) you're like, wow, I don't even know what this part of the world is like, but I could spend three and a half months there. Okay. Um, and for whether it's in the Maldives or Nepal or Peru, Mm -hmm. you, it's, you're looking at a catalog. Um, but I think the, when I discovered dragons through this website, I just, the emphasis on cross-cultural immersion and, um, and tight kind of taking a critical look sometimes at these, um, the same trips that we're on, uh, essentially traveling around the world to, um, to learn, to uh, be immersed in a culture, and sometimes to volunteer or to do an aspect of volunteerism. Um, and yeah, I think that that critical lens, as as well as a cross cultural immersion, really um, was exciting for me. And so that's what that's what pushed me over the edge with dragons. Awesome. I'm wondering, was it like the Gap Year Association website that you were looking at, or? That, or go overseas or something like that. Yeah, I think it was Gap Year Association. That sounds right. That's a great place to start. So <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Um, and then with that, I guess once you narrowed it down to dragons, what made you choose the Andes and Amazon semester? What really spoke to you about that region of the world? Um, yeah, I guess it was for me, it was between Nepal and the Andes and Amazon. And I, I, I still know that I would have had a wonderful time in Nepal and um, the Himalayas. But I, I think just the, the, the culture and language were, um, I had previously spent time in Central America and um, having an, a level of familiarity with the language as much as high school Spanish three classes can give you familiarity. <laughs> um, totally. But yeah, I, I, I knew it'd be hard too because one of the hardest parts that they said beforehand was going to be the, the food Um was uh, not it it could could kind of drag on for a while with uh, potatoes um, uh-huh. and more potatoes <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I knew it'd be a challenge and I, I kind of I in some ways I kind of expected it to be more difficult and that's um, what drove me to do it because I, I wanted something that burst my bubble pretty instantly outside of high school Awesome. And with that, I, well, the, just the Spanish language piece, if that was something you were interested in, did, was there any sort of formal language instruction on this program or was it more just kind of immersing and getting to practice every day with native speakers and such? We did have um, in our in our three and a half week homestay outside of Cochabamba, we did have formal language classes for a few hours a day. Um, and we're our group of 12 was divided up into four groups of um, similar levels of Spanish and we I mean having formal language uh, study while also being immersed and having to go home to your homestay family and speak it is you learn really quick and so um, that was very helpful um, 
by having formal language study along with being completely immersed in the culture. Awesome. I, I mean, that is the best way to learn as much as you could take it in high school and go to classes. Uh, that is for sure the most effective way, I think, to learn a language. So very cool that you were able to do that. And the rest of the just structure of the day-to-day program, you know, what was your favorite part about the Dragon's model itself? Or just, yeah, tell us a little bit more about how that day-to-day structure went for you. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's kind of hard because there we went to a lot of different places and a lot of parts of the trip looked different. Um, but it's, it was a combination of experiencing new things, seeing new things and, um, digesting and critically looking at what we were seeing, um, in some form of, uh, like breakdown afterwards. Um, so whether it was seeing a a bunch of tourists on top of Machu Picchu and how that made us feel or um, or learning about different um, about different social groups and organizations down where we were actually um, staying or the history of mining in some areas um, it it made it for not just a, a trip or um, or just a viewing experience you we felt very immersed um, in what we're doing all the time and um, and that translated to um, (laughs) I feel like a lot of the members of my group coming out of that becoming significant activists and um, and finding our voice awesome awesome I mean those experiences are so impactful to to see I mean especially what I'm sure you were seeing in the Amazon or some of the organizations you were likely working with I I think it's not uncommon that it turns out some activists in some capacity, but very, I mean, yeah, just how cool that you were able to have that experience. And I am curious too, with that, was, was there one like global topic in particular that you were focused on that was relevant to this region as part of the educational curriculum? Or was it a few different themes that you were looking at? Um, I think, I mean, regionally, I mean, keep in mind, this was also the same, uh, the same three-month period where Donald Trump was elected president uh, and being abroad and being with a very politically active group when that happened was a lot to digest in of itself. <laughs> so we had enough going on at home in our own politics. Um, but with that said, I think um, across Peru and Bolivia, the just the issues of inter, uh, indigenous rights and indigenous stakeholders in politics um, in both the Bolivian and Peruvian governments um, came up very frequently as it related to whether it was the Amazon and the the highway that they're building to cut through the Amazon all the way from east of eastern Brazil to Peru or um, or the Cochabamba water wars um, and the the scar that that left in the area that we um, stayed in um, families' homes for three and a half weeks. Uh, so, yeah, the, the just indigenous um, indigenous rights, where how they can be stakeholders in local and state government, um, and how they were not being included in a lot of uh, recent efforts in those countries. Totally, that is 
fasc- a fascinating lens to look at some of that in that region for sure. And I know you've mentioned a couple of times that homestays, were you primarily in homestays for this program or was it a mixture? Did you, just, I know you've mentioned like one three and a half week homestay. Did you have more outside of that? Um, we had a few, a few smaller ones, um, in we when we did a kind of backpacking trek through the andes part of peru and there was a group called the nacion queros and we stayed in i I guess very short homestays there were one or two nights for six days um and we would just stay in uh, their houses while on a on a trek um but that I mean, that was in and of itself a um, very eye-opening experience. That was on the first leg of our trip, um, and seeing uh, differences in the way people live around the world uh, was certainly eye-opening. Coming from a suburban <laughs> area in California, that <laughs> so to say the least, that was um, a very enriching experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to do that at the beginning of the program too, I think. It re- Really digging in early, that's that's huge. And what, what trek was it that you were doing, just out of curiosity? Do you remember? Um, I don't believe there was a name for that okay. trek. I think it was just um, we had a, a local guide, and okay. he had grown up in the area and oh, um, cool. was also had a longstanding relationship with Where There Be Dragons. Um, and so it, it was kind of a... a trek through his home area wow okay yeah i was just curious if it was like the inca trail or the lara's trek or anything like that um but i mean geez how unique to be able to do a a trek or backpacking experience of that nature with you you know that isn't Mm -hmm. (laughs) sounds like that is more off the tourist track you know i mean that's super unique yeah yeah definitely um like you said uh, yeah eye-opening and um just very digging in deep to the to the culture there we on the last night of our of our trek we had the um the locals in this our the small village uh we brought out a a sheep for slaughter and um that's something that doesn't they rarely eat get to eat meat in these communities um but uh i it was a very ceremonial event and uh definitely one of the most um, important ceremonies that I've ever witnessed firsthand. It was very, very exciting to be a part of. Wow, that's very cool. And I know, yeah, a big deal if they're going to go through that process, if it's such a rare occasion. I mean, very cool Mm -hmm. that you were able to be a part of that. And did you kind of get in there and get your hands dirty and really be a part of it? Or were you more like witnesses (laughs) from the side? Uh, Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely up to us. Um, Wow. I, I, did I, I personally helped um, tie up the the sheep and drag it um, from its pen to um, the oh area of slaughter? So you know, uh, I definitely had a part in it, and um, wow, and that uh, that sat with me, uh-huh. um, but in, in in definitely a fulfilling way because of how um, just impactful that ceremony was, and. And then <laughs> allowing that to look at our lives of, wow, once a month they get to slaughter a sheep and mm-hmm. <laughs> we just consume meat like it's on a treadmill uh-huh. and can be available to us at any time. So really 
it, it's it's stuff like that um, mm-hmm. throughout the program that you're able to be like, this is such a different way of living that we have never even considered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you get to look at why. Why is it so rare to eat meat? Why is it so common to eat meat in our modern life in back in the United States? Um, and mm-hmm. allow you to take a critical look at what you learned in in Peru and Bolivia and how to extrapolate that upon your own experience going forward. Absolutely. And I think too, just being a part of that, it I'm sure gives you so much more appreciation for the life of that animal. I mean, it was that part of the ceremony was probably like appreciating the animal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the very huge part of it. Which is just something we don't do. And we're so... I mean, that's a whole separate rabbit hole we could go down, but like we are so disconnected yeah. from our food systems and particularly meat. And I think having that experience of slaughtering an animal and understanding what goes into that and yep. you, yeah, the connection and appreciation is just not even comparable. Um, so I, that's amazing that you were able to be a part of something like that. I mean, very unique and I'm sure definitely something to process, but um but good experience nonetheless. Yeah. Absolutely. Looking back on that semester, Kevin, what do you think is like a highlight for you or a story that really sticks with you? If somebody asks you, you know, what was your favorite part of your gap year? And you have to have your, you know, maybe your medium story. I don't know if, you know, you have your short kind of like, it was great. How was your year? And you're in depth, maybe one of your like medium stories. What was your highlight? One of, from my, from my tape deck, just pull up which medium story was a uh, enough to give them uh, a sample yep. of, the, of the trip, but not too long. You don't want to you don't want to bore them. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, just from a like a personally exciting <laughs> part of it was, and it may, probably wasn't as exciting for the instructors that were worried for the lives of their students. But like, we we were on the high point of our of the trek through Bolivia. Um, on in the last 10 days of the program and we're at 17,500 feet and we're making the peak of uh, this mountain Pico Austria and and it looked great going up and then just the weather really turned and as soon as we're pretty much standing at the tippy top peak of this mountain (laughs) the um, the weather shifted rapidly, uh, and we could get the instructors could click their trekking poles together, and it would spark because of the amount of electricity in the air. And um, so we descended rapidly because the lightning was there, and then it, it just uh, it, on a moment's notice, a bolt of lightning came out of the sky, um, hit some rocks pretty close to where we were standing, and. It was essentially a two-hour, not mad dash. I want to give some credit to the instructors, but um, (laughs) it was a (laughs) two-hour descent uh, where the lightning risk was very high. And um, that that feeling definitely sat with me for a while of like, (laughs) uh, I guess, uh, charged, so to speak. Uh (laughs) Um, But it it was (laughs) electric. Uh, it It was really... I mean, that was just one of the most alive ex- 
experiences that I've ever had. So that that's one that stands out, um, not necessarily for its cross-cultural <laughs> immersion aspects, but just because it was it was pretty crazy. Yes, that sounds like a wild and scary and exhilarating all-in-one <laughs> <laughs> experience. Yeah. Crazy. I've never even heard of that, that to, to click your trekking poles and have it spark. I mean, that is just yeah wild to me yeah and then our and then like my hair started just standing up on ends just like like a ball of oh my like gosh. and i'm i definitely had not even close to had that happen before um <laughs> so wow. i don't think i've ever even heard of this like i've you know we go over lightning you know scenarios and you know, the wilderness first responder all of that i didn't even know that was possible <laughs> yeah uh I'm glad everyone made it safe. A few people had to drop their trekking poles um, yeah. as we we're up there because you didn't want to be holding no. on to some some conducting rods. Definitely not. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is! I can see why that stands out <laughs> as, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. one of your biggest ones. Um, I guess on the on the yeah maybe more on the immersion side or something. Do you have another mm-hmm. you know highlight story that you care to share? Um, yeah, I. I think, I mean, not only was, I, I mentioned that our, our homestay in Cochabamba was the site of the water wars in the early 2000s. Um, and and we're, we're specifically in just a little area called Tikipaya. And uh, it was just a cute little rural, semi-rural area. Um, and we being immersed in that on a daily basis uh, with, with the history that went on there, as well as um, a a very welcoming homestay family, um, was really fun and um, and that that three and a half weeks really sometimes it felt like a lifetime, but when looking back, it just flew by because we had such a welcoming family and a family that actually had a wedding while we were there, and that was wow. a Bolivian wedding didn't know what to expect but uh i'm not disappointed for sure (laughs) it kind of it's also the whole weekend um so friday to sunday um usually until about four or five there's some really loud music playing just in their backyard and dancing uh having fun i tried to go to sleep (laughs) like (laughs) 10 or 11 and that was a that was a foolish mistake. Oh my gosh! It, it could. It was so loud, and but it was. I mean, it was really fun. It having <laughs> having a a wedding within the family while we we're there was really cool, and seeing the traditions around that and stuff was. I, that's the best way to see a culture. Totally. Well, and so rare to get to see something like that, like those ceremonies, whether it was the lamb or a wedding is such a huge like cultural celebration. Mm -hmm. I've only been to a few weddings abroad myself, but like same thing kind of just (laughs) by chance. But I mean, I think one of the coolest ways to experience that part, you know, the celebration part of a culture, which you might not Mm -hmm. see in the day to day. That is amazing. So like, were they up all night dancing the night away? (laughs) Did you ever go to sleep or and did you it, eventually say, okay, I'm going to go keep dancing too? <laughs> uh, I, I danced a decent amount one night, like I committed to it. And then um, I, I just, <laughs> it's also funny because I, it's like 
it's not even the whole wedding party that dances the whole time. It's like usually just two to four, just a pair or two. (laughs) And they just rotate between. And that's not the that's not the case for all of it. There's definitely parts where everyone's dancing. But yeah, for a decent amount, there's just um, a pair or two just out on the dance floor for half a song and then they rotate. Um, (laughs) So it's yeah, it's it's tiring work getting out there. And I'm sure it's kind of the spotlight. Is everybody else just watching? Is it? Uh, yeah, the, like sitting at tables yeah. and stuff like oh that, enjoying themselves. Oh my gosh, so fun. <laughs> How cool that you were able to be a part of that. Yeah, definitely. And I I certainly stood out as like a over six foot tall white guy. I'm um, sure. <laughs> it just, I looked so out of place at this <laughs> Bolivian oh wedding with the height the average height was probably five two to five three. Yeah. Wow. So. That's so funny. <laughs> and were you alone in this homestay or did you have a, a pair from like a partner from your group that was with you as well? Um, I had uh my Elliot, my friend, and then um Trisha was in like the same family. It was kinda they owned like a few mm-hmm. properties in the area, but theirs was like a bit down the road. And so we like us three attended the wedding and well we had to experience it in our backyard so um yeah <laughs> it it was it was right there the whole time uh but then we also had our whole group come out for the main wedding ceremony um so all 15 of us 12 plus instructors so then that was great gotcha. um, so oh my gosh. yeah we everyone they extended the invite to to everyone in our group Oh my gosh, so cool. That is amazing. Um, I think, yeah, those are both amazing. Highlight, looking back, story is very different, but um, mm-hmm. that's super cool. Yeah, it's definitely stories stories like those that just, like, I just don't think they'll ever, ever leave. Mm-hmm. You know, we're five years removed from the trip and it's still just right, right in the front of my mind. And that's, I mean, that's, <laughs> if you want to see the value of taking a gap yours or some sort of cultural immersion trip it it's it, in experiences like those that just are very unique and you, frankly it they might not happen in a lot of other places or it might look different than a, a college experience but it's certainly a lot more unique absolutely and so after this fall semester that you did with Dragons, I'd love to hear a little bit more. I understand you went on to some solo travels in your spring semester. Yeah, what? how did you decide on that or what launched you into that second half of your gap year? Yeah, um, I think I had planned to do a, a trip to Europe um, before taking the Where There Be Dragons fall semester. Um, and... I had planned to do it in the spring and I wasn't really sure at the time how long I'd go for. And then getting back from the dragons trip, uh, I certainly had the, uh, more confidence in my ability to be self-sustaining while traveling and, um, and to be also alone and away from home as well. Cause those are, <laughs> that can be pretty wearing on, um, the traveler uh, just being away from home for that long and so I it the dragon strip gave me confidence that I could um, travel for three months throughout Europe just 
going hostel to hostel, city to city on my own and um, uh, just meeting new people along the way, experiencing new things, um, just traveling with an open mind really. And that's that's what I wanted was to have um, a, a trip that I didn't have much expectation for, but that was able to surprise me <laughs> if I decided to go to one city or the other. That is so fun to just kind of, so it sounds like you just went without a plan and made the plan as you went. Was that kind of what, what your... Yeah, I would, I kind of had a general itinerary of countries that I wanted to go to and I had a year rail pass, which meant I could travel long days on um, the year rail to different, uh, different cities. And so I, I would structure my time around three to four days in one city. Oh, um, bled in Switzerland looks great. Uh, and then schedule my hostel, schedule my train, and then uh, look at the next five to six days. And usually it would be about a week out and if I, in case I need to book any flights. And I think the, the biggest um, audible to my trip that I made was to go to Morocco um, instead of southern Spain and I ended up actually studying abroad in southern Spain <laughs> uh, sophomore year of college cool. so I made up for that trip but Morocco was um, I I was only going to stay there for a few days and then I stayed for two and a half weeks and um, yeah. it was absolutely a country that surprised me and frankly was very uh, affordable for the for having just got out of you know, Barcelona, mm -hmm. Southern France. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. So Morocco was, I think, the area that surprised me the most in a very good way. Wow. So how many countries did you go to or or what were they if it was a not too long of a list? <laughs> but where did you end up going? Uh, it It is a uh, it's a long list and that's not meant to be like a subtle flex. It's just I kind of <laughs> I, I did pop around a decent amount. Um just but mostly in um, like southern Europe, so between Croatia and Italy and Greece and Spain and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I did get to spend about a month of time in uh, the Czech Republic, which uh, outside of this little castle town um, called Chesky Kromlov with my cousin who owns a farm out there. And um, that was that was really nice. It was a a refuge for the weary traveler and um and yeah so i did i got very immersed in the czech culture which is apparently just drinking a lot of beer <laughs> that's awesome and did you like meet friends along the way that you started traveling with or did you yeah did you ever have stints where you were traveling with anybody else um only uh, surprisingly little i would say i think i it's not that i expected to but um, only about one time in Morocco did I actually like go to a city with another like group or person, um, mm -hmm. like outside of the city that we were already in. I think I found it really easy to travel alone because you don't have to like, you don't have to check with anyone else if this itinerary works or if this time for a train works, you don't have to worry about, I mean, yes, there's obviously pros and cons, but, um, at least for traveling from one place to another on a long travel day, which can be like making a close train, making like a tight schedule or something like that. Um, being on your own time is, is pretty nice. And mm -hmm. 
And so after the first few intercity travels, I, I got pretty accustomed to it and then would meet, you know, friends at hostels in, in these different cities. Um, but then, <laughs> you know, get really close to them, tell them my life story, hear their life story, and then say goodbye and maybe never see them again. It's a very, very interesting dynamic going yes. on in European hostels. <laughs> well, and I'm sure that there, I'm sure there were plenty of other people doing just what you were doing and probably were yes. accustomed to that quick yeah. and deep relationship as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so I guess whether it be, I mean, I'm sure I can imagine you got quite close with the people on your dragon semester, but I guess them or any of the people from your Europe adventures, um, you know, just, um, yeah, do you still keep in touch or what can you, you know, speak to the relationships from that time? Yeah, um, I, I, I'd like to think that I still, that our group still keeps in touch. We actually had a lot um, in our group itself from the East Coast, uh, which meant those in the Northeast could uh, meet up easier than <laughs> people who live in, yeah. you know, Denver and California mm-hmm. and Washington. That's a, uh, yes, it's all on the West Coast, but that's certainly further than <laughs> um, yes. a few New England. Our, <laughs> right, yeah. the New England area. So, um, you know, I, I, even though five years has passed from the trip, I still <laughs> feel like uh, the the group that I went on this trip with has just such a special place <laughs> in my heart. Mm-hmm. And um, because we experienced things, most of us, for the first time that we just, that were just so different than we ever had before we (laughs) we got very close on this Mm -hmm. trip and shared a lot of memories and um and no matter how far we grow geographically we're always gonna have those shared experiences so um i haven't seen many of them since but i know that if i when i do get to see them again it's gonna be like nothing ever changed so um Mm -hmm. and that's that's the value of just these really deep um experiences with a group of people that you that you have these lifetimes of shared experiences that's so cool and i think the whole picking up right where you left off i think with those sorts of relationships you can go a very long time or a decade and get back together and still have the same inside jokes and banter and whatever it might have been and that's so unique yeah i mean i'm assuming you certainly see that a lot in your position as well I mean, definitely see it. And I actually am an alum of programs from, you know, 12 years ago and still have gotten together with, you know, people from my group and had, yeah, like picked up right where we left off no matter I've, I have gone like eight years between seeing somebody and then you get together and it's like nothing has changed. (laughs) So I can personally vouch to that from my experiences, at least I've, I've, I've seen it. I've, I've been a part of it and it's just unique. It's not something you get many other places. Yeah, definitely. Totally. Well, I understand that you have recently graduated from college. And so what did you end up majoring in? And did that, was that impacted at all by the, your experiences during your gap year? <laughs> um, well, what I started my major as and what I ended up majoring as is actually um, quite a, an adventure. It was a roller coaster for me. I started as international relations and Spanish, which you, <laughs> yes, if you, you can think about how directly tied to an mm-hmm. international trip in a Spanish speaking country <laughs> that is. Um, so I started as that and then I moved to, and I ended up at um, 
sociology and sustainable business with a minor in Spanish. And um, that wasn't through necessarily being jaded by international relations. Um, because, I mean, after traveling abroad for a while between high school and college, uh, you know, maybe I thought I had it all figured out. But um, I I realized that I I can make a significant difference where I'm living right now. I don't need I don't need to devote my time and energy to um, to trying to fix a, a problem that I am uh, very, you know not very familiar with whether it's you know digging wells in Southeast Asia or um, international relations is kind of on that broader scale of like relationships between nations and um, unless I, I I didn't really feel that passion about model UN and stuff like that so I really I, I just had a I guess a shift in my mindset um, that I could make a, a substantial difference we have enough of our own problems um, and that is certainly not to discount the value of international travel and international immersion because we're able to to bring back those experiences to make to make us better people and to to motivate us and to um, to incite change in our own lives and in the lives of our community and I think I, I just realized the value of the community that I have here in, in Spokane Washington I there's certainly enough things that I can work to change and be an activist in that I don't need to study international relations and um, and travel to a different country to try to change so um, that it was it certainly was a journey um, my my education I could not agree with all that you just said more and I think that you know sometimes it takes having those experiences to realize how important your local impact is and how important it is to be involved in your own community so um, yeah, just could not agree with that whole statement more. Um, <laughs> and you know, how cool that you are now working in sustainability, right? In Spokane and doing something that sounds mm-hmm. to me incredibly impactful, um, for not only like your community in Spokane, but probably at the larger, you know, community here in the United States as well. Yeah. I, I am learning a lot. I'm uh, making a tangible difference, at least in, in my own field uh, <laughs> every day. And that's, um, that's, I, I'm glad I can say that essentially. I, I really, as a student graduating college around this time, it, there's just so much angst around the future of our world and, you know, where we fit, what, what do we do? And, you know, I certainly don't have all the answers. Um, I'm just happy that I was able to um, at least make a difference in my job. And I think, frankly, it started out with, uh, at, in, during college, I got very involved with volunteering um, for my the city of Spokane and a, a sustainable action subcommittee that was, you know, unpaid. Um, but it was great exposure to local policymaking um, the future of climate locally and how interconnected um, climate policies have to be 
if, I mean, if you're trying to set a climate policy in eastern Washington, where wildfire smoke is a massive issue, mainly due to fires in California and Oregon, it's very difficult to be like, hey, we need to stop the fires, but we're just a city in eastern Washington. So how can we um, connect and unite with other cities to create sensible policies and stuff around that? And so that aspect of just getting involved in your community in any way, um, I cannot recommend enough. Agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> and, you know, so great to be able to be more sustainably involved in those solutions and within your own community, right? Versus if you're traveling and it's in a shorter term capacity. Yeah. So, gl so glad to hear that that is where you've landed and where this whole journey has ultimately brought you. I mean, how meaningful. And I guess my last question is just do you have any other thoughts or takeaways or words of advice for, you know, potential gap year students out there who are listening? Um, I would say, there one one aspect of the decision making process to actually go on a gap year can be maybe feeling estranged from your classmates or um you know you're going to be going through if you do go end up going to college after a gap year um then you'll be a year removed um but i <laughs> i'll just simplify and say that going on a gap year is um, is just one of the best things you can do for your future. It, no matter what you do, if you're, even if you stay home, um, it, getting a job, working, or being, working on a farm in a different country, language immersion, there's so many options that you are going to go into the next part of your life, a, an educated and um, a person with a perspective and that, that is very valuable. Awesome, Kevin. I think that we can leave it at those very impactful words of advice and just thank you so much <laughs> for taking the time to chat with us and tell us about your, your gap year journey in South America and in Europe and just thank you to everyone for listening today. Um, you can find Where There Be Dragons online at www.wherethereBeDragons.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Where There Be Dragons. And you can find us here on, at Gap Year Radio on Instagram and Facebook at Gap Year Radio or online at GapYearRadioPodcast.com. You can email us your Gap Year questions or comments at GapYearRadio at gmail.com. And lastly, you can download our show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you have a moment, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that more people can discover Gap Year Radio. Thank you so much again, Kevin. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me on.